involved, hopefully today, all right? And I want to start a series. You know, I picked that little shot and thought, well, I hope we get some snow. And lo and behold, we got some snow. Not that much snow. I mean, folks, they issued a weather advisory. It's five centimeters of snow. Like, we live in the province of Quebec, folks. It's not California. Why do we always sort of hope that it's not going to happen? We say, ah, oh, too bad, another year in the snow came. Maybe next year we won't get any snow, you know. It doesn't work like that. We live here in Quebec. You don't need a weather advisory for two to four centimeters of snow. But anyway, we do that now. Uh, but I want to use that as a bit of a, a, bit of a, a hook, if you will, to do a little series here on the subject of discernment, which I feel is a lost, uh, lost discipline, lost art uh, in today's world, the subject of discernment. And we're going to cover four areas, hopefully, God's will, good and evil, natural and spiritual, and truth and lie. Four different areas. How do you discern? And this is a like a critical thing today, folks. Especially those of you here, parents, you got your kids with you. I mean, I hope you realize that we live in a time that information about anything is accessible anytime, anywhere, basically for free. Not too much work, not too much cost but very little discernment used in this. So if folks, right from where you're sitting, you can take a device out of your pocket or out of your coat, and it can give you information about anything you want, basically instantaneously. The problem is, it's really hard to discern that information. You can look up any given subject, and you can see any number of reels or videos or TikTok and you know whatever we're using these days, and you can see just masses of information immediately. But this does not require very much discernment. You just sort of swallow it, and discernment is a little more tricky when you have so much information available so quickly and you can just sort of swallow it and stop thinking about it and stop trying to discern what is this? What is this about? And it, it, this leads to choices in life. This leads to the way that we view things, the way that we understand reality. This is why discernment is so necessary and so important. And you say, well, it's a bit of a fancy word. I'm not so sure I understand what it means. Maybe kids saying discernment, I don't know what that means, but all of you do it. All of us discern. All of us. We just don't realize we're doing it. So you want you to picture this guy. It's not winter, but, you know, close enough. And here he is, uh, and he's out in the, in the woods, and, I mean, he's got two roads that he can take, Right? And so he's going to have to discern, he's going to have to decide, he's going to have to distinguish what direction is he going to go in. So how's he going to do this? You tell me. 
By the color? Color of what? Okay. So what's he doing when he's looking at the color? Okay. What did you say? It started with H. Blank, clear the path is, you said. How? Good. What, what else? S repeat. Where? Where it leads? His what? His map? What does he need a map for? To guide him? Okay, to guide him where? Okay. How? How what? How well he can walk it? Okay. How long does it take? You missed one. The kids, how, how, what? How easy is it? How does he decide? Good. All good words. The kids know this. Why? Why is he going there? Good. There's another one you're missing. The kids know. Kids know more than the adults on this one. Who? What? When? Where? Why? When? One more. Starts with H. How? It's, it's grade school, folks. This, these are all the questions that we use to discern. We ask who, and even this guy is asking who when he's deciding where he's going. Who's he going to visit? Maybe he's going to visit someone. Who's he going to see when he visits that person? Maybe he wants to be late <laughs> to see that person. Maybe he would rather be late. Maybe he would rather be on time. Maybe he's asking himself who he is. And that'll determine which direction he's going to go. He's thinking of himself. He's thinking of maybe somebody else. And then he's maybe thinking, well, why, what am I doing here? Well, well, what, what do I do? What, he, he could be asking what about many different things. This is what he's using to discern. When am I going to get there? How long will it take? Where am I going? And not just maybe geographically. Maybe he's asking, where am I going in a more of a philosophical sense? Why am I going there? What's my reason? What's my motive for going there? And how is it going to play out? If I take this path, am I going to need better shoes? What's the how? All of these questions are going through his mind as he's discerning what he's going to do. He's asking himself this over and over and over again, and all of us do this hundreds of times a day. We're discerning. You said not you. Yes, you are. You, if, you, if you think about it, you are. You, you'll see. Now, you're young, but you'll see. You're asking yourself those questions probably even at a young age hundreds of times a day without realizing it. Okay, now there's a word for this that people have grown to dislike over the last few years. But there's a word for this whole process. I will, I will be, if I had a gold star, I would give it to whoever gets this word. No, no, that's two words. 
I'm looking for one word that describes this. Logic, no. Discern, well, yes, but, another, but there's another word that I'm going to use. People have grown to dislike this word. Christians have grown to dislike this word. Human, no. Purpose, no. Waking you up the first Sunday of January. Back in school, no more strike, kids. What's that? Doubt, no. Analyzing, close, but no. Deconstructing, no. Faith, no. Gold star. Say it. What are you saying? Judgment, close, but no cigar. Leading, no. Starts with an S. No. And like I said, people have grown to dislike this word. No, no. No, you're getting colder now. Sin, no. Now you're ice cold. Snake, no. <laughs> Sometimes people put a the in front of this word when they're talking about it. Sense, no. Situation, no. No. Sometimes people, it's their, it's their least favorite class in school. <laughs> there. That's what that is, folks. That's what you're doing. You're doing science. When you ask yourself these questions, it's science. Science is not like people think all these bad things and these horrible. This is science, and you're doing it all the time. You're asking these questions. And when we say science, we're saying, well, we're asking these questions. Who, what, where, when, why, how? Why is this doing this? What's going on here? When does it happen? How does it happen? Where does it happen? Why? All these questions, these are, this is all in the realm of discernment. And so the process of discerning something, it's a science, folks. And it, it, it makes me very nervous when I hear Christians and they, 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 they talk about science and they, ugh, and they're just sort of, they, they call it the science and they're anti-science and they're this and that. Folks, you, you got to stop thinking that way, okay? It's a bad witness. You do science all the time. How many of you, you washed your hair this morning? How many of you, you said, well, <laughs> I'm next to somebody, he should have washed his hair, right? It's science. You know what you're putting on your head there? You don't know what it is, but folks, that's some heavy science going on in your head. All this, this stuff, this gadgets and gizmos that we have plugged in, it's all based on science, folks. The, the sound waves, the reason why you hear the invisible waves that are floating through the air, it's all science. It's all who, what, where, when, why, how. It's all discernment, 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 asking questions, asking questions. To discern is to ask questions. It's a science. It's a process. I want to do this exercise today with God's will. Can you discern God's will? Understanding that what discernment is is constantly asking these questions over and over and over again as you go through life. Now, some people have a really hard time doing this because they get answers to these questions, who, what, where, when, why, how, and they don't like them. And the, the answers bother them. They know the answers to the questions that they're asking, 
They have a pretty clear idea what the answers are, but they don't like the answers. And so they go against whatever they're finding in their, in their supposed discernment, and really all they're doing is rebelling. <laughs> and they go and they do whatever they want, even though they've, they've gone through the discernment process, they just don't like the outcome, they don't like the answers to the question, so they're going to go against it, and they're going to say, I'm doing this and this and this, against what they have discerned. That's called rebellion, okay? That is not discernment. But how do you do this with God's will? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I think Paul here does a marvelous job at explaining this for us very briefly. This is a famous passage of Scripture. If, you, if you've never memorized any Bible verses in your life, these are two verses that you want to memorize. They're, they're wonderful verses, and people around the world can quote this passage, okay? This is a, a very liked passage. It's not often appreciated when it comes to the will of God, however, and it should be. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Marvelous little package he gives to us here. So I want to give you just some basic principles that come out of this passage, keeping in mind that discernment is when you're asking these questions all the time, trying to come up with the answers to these questions in order that you can distinguish, can discern, can make a decision, can make a determination. This is what discernment is. Beginning of the passage, in view of God's mercy. So the end of the passage talks about testing and approving what God's will is. But there is a way to get there. So what he's saying is you've got to go through something before you can understand, before you can determine, before you can discern God's will. And apparently, if you do these things, you will actually be able to test and approve what God's will is, i.e., you'll be able to say, this here is not God's will, and this here is God's will. Now, just for context, folks, I'm not talking about things that are very obvious. There are things that you read in the Bible that are extremely obvious that you can say, this is God's will, and this is not God's will. For example, thou shalt not steal. It's pretty obvious that this is against the will of God to steal, okay? There are things in the Bible that are very obvious that way, but there are other things that are not so obvious. And there's a process required where you get to a place, apparently, where you can actually know what God's will is. And this is a big, big question for people. What do I do with my life? What do I do for a job? What do I study? 
Uh, who do I marry? Who do I not marry? You know, all these, all these kinds of questions. Where do I live? The big, big life decisions people want to know. Is it God or is it me? Is it my friend? Is it this? Is it that? And they, here we're saying you can test and approve what it is. And it doesn't matter if someone comes up to you and says, well, I think this is God's will for your life. You can say, well, you don't know what you're talking about because I can test and approve what God's will is. So you over here, you're off the mark because I know what God's will is for my life. You ever said that to anybody? Because sometimes people come up to you and say, this is God's will. How do you argue with God? Well, apparently you can. Apparently you can test and approve so that no one can tell you what is and what isn't. You've heard from God on the matter. So how do you get to that place? First part of the process is to consider in view of God's mercy, he says. So, and this is a therefore. And when you're reading the Bible, you always want to know what the therefore is there for. So if you read before the therefore, you understand why it's there. <laughs> and there you see he gives a whole big argument about the grace of God and about the mercy of God, whether a person is religious or whether they're not, whether they're in their context a Jew or not a Jew, that God wants to reach all these kinds of people. And God has had mercy and shown mercy on all these kinds of people so that he can reach them and so that they can turn to him. So he's trying to argue for the mercy of God and for the kindness of God. And so because God is merciful and because God is kind and because God is gracious and so on, therefore, here's what you do. And he, so you've got to consider the mercy of God before anything. You've got to be understanding of it. You've got to be appreciative of it. You have to consider it in view of God's mercy. When a person becomes convinced of God's mercy, therefore, they can then do these things. And hopefully you get to a place where you're convinced that God truly is merciful to you. He doesn't give you what you deserve to get. He gives you what you don't deserve. This is mercy. So what do you do once you've understood this mercy? Well, a couple of things, a couple of actions that you need to do. Number one, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a, a curious kind of play on words here. They, in, in their context, they were closer to a time where there was a kind of a system of sacrifices that were done. This is written to the church in Rome, probably written to a more Gentile audience, but still they, they understood what the word sacrifice meant. And a sacrifice usually meant the slaughter of an animal and some sort of presentation to some sort of God and so on. And here he says, in view of the mercy of God, you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Interesting. So it's not dead, it's alive. And you, you're giving yourself to God because you've come to understand his mercy. And therefore you say, okay, God, here I am. I am the sacrifice. 
I am giving myself over to you. Everything that I have alive, I give to you. This is my offering to you. It's me. It's not something in the place of me. It's me. I give you myself. I surrender myself. I surrender my body to you. Back in the Greco-Roman world, the physical body was a very much an object of worship. We see it in the archaeology all the time there, the idols and the, the worship of the beauty of humanity. Uh, when uh, Alexander the Great tried to Hellenize the world, tried to make it into a Greek world in art, in culture, in, in media, in everything, in language, there was a worship of the body and its beauty and its, uh, its power and so on. And here he says, you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a little different than what the Greco-Roman world was teaching. So here this is a, you, you, it's everything that you have, you're giving over to God. This is your true and your proper worship. Okay, is that it? No. There's more to do in order to get to a place where you can test and approve what God's will is. Do not conform, he says, to the pattern of this world. Do not conform. On the screen, that's a picture of, well, I'll see if anybody knows. Anybody know what that is? That's bricks. That's bricks that are made the old-fashioned way. And I saw that uh, take place in, uh, in, in the southern part of, uh, of Africa over in Zambia. Took a trip there ooh, some 10 years ago and uh, a little small team and we were helping to, to build a building that was part of an orphanage. And they, they made the bricks the old fashioned way. You make the, the, this mud and all this, this you know, concoction that they put in there to make their bricks strong, and but they have to mold it. They have to conform it to a very specific image, if you will. And you see the bricks in the background there, and this guy is conforming the brick in the foreground. It The word back in the time of the New Testament meant that. It meant to be pressed into a mold. So here he's saying, you're, do not be pressed into the mold that this world wants to press you into. Hmm. This pattern, he says, of this world. Now, I've heard people take this passage and say, ah, oh, this means that we have to be anti-everything. We're anti-authority, we're anti-government, we're anti-this and we're anti-that, and uh, we're rebels, and that's what it means to be a Christian. You be a rebel, you know, a good Christian is a good rebel against authority. Don't listen to them, don't become a little sheep, don't be their pawn, don't be their puppet, go against the grain of this worldly evil system. That's not what it means, folks. It does not what it means at all. A few chapters later, Paul will actually say, submit yourselves to authority. He's writing to the Roman church folk. 
That's Roman authority. <laughs> Roman authority was, had a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of problems to it. And he's saying, submit yourselves to authority in Romans 14, Romans 15. This verse does not mean do not conform to authority, say no to everything they do, don't, don't, don't be an anti this and an anti that. You know, some Christians, all they're known for is what they're against and not what they're for. That's not what this is saying at all. The pattern of this world, this is the ideas of this world, the, 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 the work of the power of the prince of the air. Paul refers to that as what the, what the devil wants you to be. Don't be molded into this age's values and its, uh, its fleshly ways and its unholy thoughts and ungodliness in behavior and so on. And back then, again, you go into the Greco-Roman world, what did they worship? What was important to them? Well, they worshiped the emperor. That's emperor cult worship back there. And this is being frowned against here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Again, the worship that we see in the idols and the things that we find in archaeology and in the literature, you have the philosophies there, the stoicism, the skepticism, the epicureanism, these kinds of views. You have the worship of the physical body. Uh, you had materialism. It was all about us, us, us. We are the gods. Caesar is God. And here what's being taught is no, no, no. You do not get molded into that. You do not worship self. You do not worship the emperor. You do not worship materialism and so on. You do not conform to that pattern. You can see that pattern everywhere, he's saying. And even when we look back at the archaeology, we can see this pattern back in that time in the world. So do not conform to that pattern. Today, we have a view that's very similar to that. We call it humanism. And in humanism, uh, once again, we're it. We are the gods, in a sense. We are the ones who, it, it all starts with us. It all stops with us. It's all about our needs. It's all about our wants. It's all about our entitlement. And we become the gods. Forget about your brother. Forget about your sister. Forget about your neighbor. Think about yourself first as you live through life. And this is a kind of a humanistic view. It's not that dissimilar to what they were living with in the Greco-Roman world with all the worship of the body and of self and of materialism and, and of intelligence and of philosophy. And he's saying, no, you've got to not be molded into that stuff, but be transformed. That's the next thing. And he gives the method of transformation by the renewing of your mind. This word uh, transformation is the same word that's used to talk about Jesus and his transfiguration. When he's on the mountain and he visually looks completely different and his, his, his countenance changes, there's this brilliant light coming from him and so on. He's like completely transformed. It meant a, a change in, in, uh, in matter. This is a very strong word. It's like a 
be transformed. It's, it's not just be changed. It's like a huge change, a huge alteration, a huge, well, transformation in a person's life. You are to be transformed. So you're not conforming at all. You're being transformed. How are you doing this? And here he's going to talk about the mind. Before he talked about the body, now he's going to talk about the mind. You want to be transformed, radically changed, you've got to deal with what's up here. And be renewed in your mind, he says. He will use this word one other time in his letter to uh, Titus, which we have in the New Testament. It's a personal letter. And he says this to Titus, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Same pattern in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy. And back to Titus, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal. There's that word, renewal by the Holy Spirit. Again, consider the mercy of God be renewed. And here the renewal is a spiritual kind of renewal by the Spirit of God. So this is something very, uh, very powerful, very major that takes place. You've got to change the very way that you think is going to change the way that you live. The mind is a very powerful thing, isn't it, folks? It's even, it's even more powerful than the physical body itself. And that may sound a little bit strange, uh, let me give you a, a, just a silly example. Um, like some of you, I had time, actually had time to, you know, rest over the last couple of weeks. I need to just tell you folks what a delight it has been to rest. And thank you, many of you in this congregation have, you know, given us little gifts and so on over Christmas, and I can't tell you what a, just a delight it is to, to serve you all as a congregation, and, and we, we actually had a chance to rest. I mean, we didn't, we haven't missed a Sunday all year in 2023, it just didn't work out for us to be able to go away, but it was like, let's rest. Folks, there's this wonderful thing called sleeping in. Have you tried it? Oh, my word. I, I just, I discovered this a little bit, sleeping in. It's like, wow, sleep is a good thing. <laughs> and, you know, I actually slept in for a little bit. It was like, wow, what? it's 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, and wow, this is sleeping in. No wonder people like it. Okay, well, better enjoy it because it's going to go away very shortly. You know, and, and we had, for us, the Christmas season is, is really nice because first we have our anniversary and we just celebrated 30 years on December the 18th. So I can't believe she stayed with me for 30 years. So 30 years and then, it's, of course, it's Christmas time the week after and, you know, happens every December 25th, right? And then you get the New Year's thing and then our daughter's birthday was yesterday. She just turned 21. So it's a where'd the time go, right? So, you know, we have these, this thing over the holiday season, so it's a lot of fun to make it to the finish line, you know, and then, then you get the snow the next day, right? But one of the things that I was able to do was to, was to exercise a little more. And lo and behold, I mean, I was so shocked, you know. I, I like to run, 
And you know, these little spindly legs, they still move. And so I finally, I couldn't believe it, folks. Like I finally made it to 10K. It was like, uh, I mean, I haven't run 10K in years, you know? And it's just like, I looked down and I said, goodness gracious, it's, it says 10K on the little machine there. And I ran 10K. Now it helped. I had, you know, Lord of the Rings going there. You watch it. It's a treadmill. It's a little bit easier. You know, you got the, the Gandalf and all that stuff. And you, you, but, but it's like, I looked down and said, man, 10K. I can't wait to go home and tell my daughter and my wife that I ran 10K. I ran 10K. And my head was in it. My head was in the game. And those of you, you know about, uh, uh, you know, your physical body, you know, you know very well, physical body is very much subject to what's up here. Very much. I see Sean Haynes down here, uh, the Canadian champion bodybuilder seven times, three times, but seven, seven titles, three Canadian. Okay, you can talk to him after. He will tell you about what I'm saying. I see Viano up in the cheap seats up there, very, very accomplished squash player. He will tell you the same thing. The, the, the mind, it becomes what's up here. When you're going to su succeed with the body, it's what's here. And the, the body is capable of a lot more than we give it credit for. But it, the, the head has to be driving the show. And if the head's not there, the body's not going to follow. So I got this 10K run, and I come home, I'm all excited, you know, I'm dripping, you know, dripping sweat or whatever, and my little spindly legs, they still got energy, and I said, man, 10K run, amazing. So I try the next day, say, I'm going to hit another 10 the next day. I think it was the next day or the day after. What do you think happened? Yeah, so, so, you know, I said, well, Lord of the Rings worked the first time, but, you know, it's, it's a little boring, so let me, you know, put some Christian music on or whatever. It's, things are going good. My head's in the game. Everything's working. Everything's working. And then all of a sudden, you know, get to 6K, 6.5K, and just, I don't know. It just, it, 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 it was the head. The head was not there. Okay, put something else on, put to, maybe Gandalf will work again, Gandalf's not working, it just, it was just taking too long, folks, I wanted the thing to say 10, and it was just taking so long, and I don't even know, my body didn't hurt that much, nothing, the little spindly legs, they were still going, but my head just wasn't there, and what did I do, I quit, right, quit at about seven and a quarter, you know, then did something else and then said, oh, I feel guilty, so I'll go back and, you know, run another kilometer or whatever, and then I'll assuage my guilt. But you know what it was? It was all up, it's right up here, folks. And if you're going to be changed, this is where you've got to be changed first. When you have the, 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 the head working in your favor, then the rest of it is going to follow suit, you see. And here he's calling for a revolution here. I mean, first you're giving your body, then you're saying, no way, I'm not going to go with the mold of this, of this world, but I'm going to change the very way that I think about life. I'm not just going to go through the motions of trying to change. That's what religion will give you. Religion says change your outward 
things. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Start doing this. Start doing this. And, you know, that'll change you. No, it won't, folk. That won't change what you think. You've got to change what's going on on the inside of you. And what's driving all of that action is right up in between your ears. And this is a radical thing that he's calling for here. You look at other places in the New Testament by the same author, and he seems to try to drive the argument that the way that you do this and the way that you renew your mind is through what? Some of you Bible scholars, you tell me. Yeah, he seems to argue that the Bible itself is going to alter the way that you think. This is not an argument only made by Paul. You see this argument made by other authors, even in the Old Testament. The, the longest uh, uh, chapter, if you will, in the Old Testament is Psalm 119, I think it is. And the author there, he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I, that I would not sin against you. Hmm, interesting. So he seems to think that his understanding of what God has said through what we now call the Bible is going to alter the way that he lives. He's going to live a more clean life, a more holy life by, as he puts it, hiding God's word in his heart. It's, um, it's a fancy word for saying memorization. And so he seems to think this, even, even Jesus himself, right? Remember when Jesus was, um, uh, uh, he's baptized in water, and the next thing in the chain of events in his life is he's out in the wilderness on a major fast. Like there's a month and 10 days, folks. It's 40 days. This is a major, major, wow, like uh, very few people can do that. So he, he goes on this major fast, and who confronts him? Right, he's tempted by, it's a very famous uh, story in the Gospels, has been depicted on so many, uh, so many kinds of media, art, film, television, whatever. And he gets tempted by the devil, comes to him with several different options, you know, do this, and, and uh, do this, and do this. And, and one of them is... Uh, uh, you know, if you are the son of God, um, uh, tell these stones to become bread, right? And what's the response of Jesus? Right, man, he, he, what does he do? He quotes from a boring book of Deuteronomy, you know, man, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Interesting. So Jesus, hmm, after not eating or drinking probably for a month and a half, what does he do when he's confronted by the devil himself? Pulls out a boring verse from Deuteronomy. Interesting. He's taken to the highest point of, of the, the, the temple in that day. We think we know generally where that would have been. And what, what's he told to do? Yeah, he said, why don't you jump? Because what? Right, and this is also very interesting because here you have the, the enemy, the devil, the tempter, 
quoting the Bible himself. He's quoting from Psalm 91, word for word. And he says, hey, why don't you jump? After all, Psalm 91 says, his angels will come and catch you. So why don't you jump? That's a clever, clever tactic. That is a very clever tactic. What's the response? Remember what Jesus says back? I don't. Another boring verse from the Old Testament. Do not put the Lord to the test. Huh. So Jesus himself seems to think that the, what God has spoken, what God has said, his inspired word of God, albeit written through human authors, but his inspired, the inspired word of God can alter the course of your life, change your decisions, can help you in you know, spiritual battle and so on. So this is a, wow, this is a major refurbishing, major renovation oof, that he's calling for here. So you notice the process again. There's this whole thing where you're asking all these questions. You're discerning who, what, where, when, why, how. All these questions that you ask, this is how you discern. You consider, okay, what does God's mercy mean to me? You, you, you appreciate it. You consider it. It should be a motivation for you to say, okay, now I'm going to give you myself a I'm going to not conform to this mold, the pattern that the values of this world is trying to push me into, and I'm going to alter the very way that I think. Folks, it stands to reason. You get through all of that process. That's all a kind of a leading up to the, it's the ultimate discernment where you say, it's like this little kid. It's like the light went on. Boom. He's, you know, ding, the light goes on. You say, now I know. Now I know what God's will is and what God's won't is. I know what he wants from me. I know what he doesn't want from me. And I don't care what anybody says about it because I've gone through the whole thing. And so now I know, and in that sense, I can test and approve what God's will is for my life. But do you see the work that it takes to get there, folks? And that's what we have to be willing to do in this whole process of discernment. And that's a, that's a discipline that has to be learned. You know, and winter, winter in the beginning of the year is a good time to try and work on some of these things and to say, wow, you know, how am I doing with all this? You know, what, what kind of stuff am I really believing about life? Have I been kind of dragged into the mold without realizing it of the materialism of this world and of the humanism and of the me-firstness of this world and the selfishness and so on. Am I dragged into that? Oh boy, how am I doing with the whole thing of, you know, uh, digesting the Bible? Do I really digest it? Do I really believe it the way that someone like Jesus believed it? Do I really believe it the way that Paul believed it? Can it really make a difference in my life as I digest it? 
Am I willing to go through this kind of change? I mean, you look at these guys, accomplished athletes in the room, that's a lot of work. That's not 10 seconds, folks. That's years and years and years of going through over and over and over again. And the mind has to be in it for, for a long time. There has, there's a deep level of commitment, folks, a deep level of sacrifice. But this is what God is calling his disciples to. And when you do that, that's when you're going to get a lock. You're going to get a clear lock, like a crosshair, to know what God's will is for your life. Would you stand with me? We're going to finish up the service in prayer here. Any musicians, you want to come up and play whatever you would like, you can go ahead and do that right away as we finish. Folks, it's great to be together. It's great to see everybody Great to even have the online working. I know there are some who are joining us that way. And, uh, but wow, discernment, so, so, so important. I don't know what you're going through in your own personal life, your own personal story and experience today. Maybe you are right there and you say, I have an immediate kind of thing where I need to know what the will of God is. And this is right, right in the wheelhouse of where, of where I'm at, of where I'm living. Father, I pray for each person who's here, those who are online, those who are going to watch later, people who are listening to audio later on. Such an important driver for our lives. I pray, God, that you would help us to, to uh, dig ourselves deep into you and to grow in our walk with you and to uh, be at a place to put the work in, to go through the process, to ask all of these questions and to uh, get to that place, Lord, where we can say we know what it is that you want from us, for us, and we know what you don't. And we would live accordingly. I pray for parents in the room trying to raise their kids right, trying to get their kids to learn to discern, learn to make right choices in life in the name of Jesus. You'd give them wisdom. You'd give them creativity. Grandparents, people who just contact with kids, aunts, uncles, nephews, nieces, and so on in the name of Jesus. Lord, that we would be people who would live in a different way not molded to the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. We pray your blessing upon each household at the beginning of this year, 2024. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you today.